out of the gates and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow is underway. The Tuesday edition. Glad you're with us. The Outkick Network includes the YouTube channel you may be watching right now. If you're not, we hope you'll go there, search out Outkick, hit subscribe, join Chad in the chat, and much more. Thank you for listening to this great radio partner. If you're doing so right now, big show planned today. A lot of reaction coming from last night's game where Aaron Rodgers tears his Achilles, done for the year. And uh, reaction in just a moment. We've got Michael McHenry, who talks all things Major League Baseball and the playoff race, some clinching opportunities for teams, a big series with the O's and the Rays coming up this weekend. Dr. David Chow, pro football doc, joins us later this hour as well. He will give us the latest on the injury to Rodgers and what it means moving forward from a rehab standpoint and the fact that he's 39 years old at this point. Jim Nagy the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, joins us weekly on Tuesdays. He joins us in Hour 2. John McClain talks all things NFL and reaction to Week 1 in Hour 3. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. Tough night on Monday yeah. Night Football last night. It was a uh, somber, very somber night. And, um, and not just from the broadcast or from the stadium, uh, our text chain as well. Yeah. Uh, it's just a bummer because of the expectations and just being a fan of football. You want to see Aaron Rodgers on the field with the Jets based on what they did this offseason with everything going perfect. And then you see the injury on the fourth snap where the Achilles injury happens. He's carted off and the murmur in the stadium. You know, you can just the energy is sucked out of the largest uh, attendance for the Jets. Uh, It was larger than what we've seen packed in there uh, in years prior for them. And the anticipation was quickly quickly buried to what everyone expected to be a a buried Jets roster and team because they were talking about being a quarterback away. Zach Wilson's back in there and they still win the game over the Buffalo Bills on the punt return in overtime. Well, I was coaching softball last night and I looked down at my phone after the game and on our show group text, Hutton, I think you had responded to something. Uh, Davey had said something saying Aaron Rodgers did not specify what had happened and you just put damn – and I immediately knew he's out for the season. That was my first thought was, man, Aaron Rodgers is out. And I looked down at my phone. At this point, the parents around me were already talking yeah. about Aaron Rodgers going down. And this was right after the game started. My game was ending. Went home and, and watched the game. Obviously, seen the injury that we'll talk about with Dr. David Chow. Seen that injury over and over like everyone else. Just such a deflating moment. Uh, I, I would hate to be a Jets fan uh, in general, given their history, but especially right now, knowing that you are so up for this season and this moment and watching the hype around Hard Knocks. And I watched every second of Hard Knocks this year and how exciting it was. And seeing Aaron Rodgers, the human side of him, Aaron Rodgers, the leader, the friend, getting along with his teammates, everything else. And now to know that four plays in, that as he is a New York Jet, that it's over for the season is just debilitating to that team, that fan base, everything else. Now, Jets weren't done. They played out the game, and uh, after falling behind by 10, they come back and win it in overtime, and uh, I was shocked they were able to pull it together and and get that win. That's an enormous in-division win for the Jets against what I think is going to be a really good Bills team. I got the Bills win the Super Bowl in my preseason prediction coming into this one. So I'm going to talk more about this later. I don't think all hope is lost because of the strength of that Jets roster, even with Zach Wilson. 
But, I mean, to act like this isn't a huge, huge loss for the Jets would be crazy not to acknowledge the fact that this is awful for that team and their prospects. Yeah, and, I mean, they're no longer the, the Super Bowl contender. You know, Super Bowl or bust. Now it's playoff expectations. Just get there with seven teams getting into the AFC. The Jets have not had a quarterback start an entire season since Ryan Fitzpatrick did that in 2015. The Jets, with Rodgers starting last night, they have had 12 different starting quarterbacks since 2016. And over that span, the Jets' QBs have had the NFL's worst passer rating, if you combine everyone, the worst completion percentage, and the worst touchdown-to-interception ratio. And this was why they're a quarterback away. That defense is elite. They have plenty of talent on offense as well. Garrett Wilson's touchdown catch is evidence of that. Brees Hall's big runs and the addition of Dalvin Cook icing that game away uh, or getting that field goal and getting them an opportunity to go to overtime with what the Bills were able to do on the drive. Chad, the, the expectations with and without him, we, we know that. But you win the game in that dramatic fashion and Robert Sala goes to the podium and you can see where he, it's evident they won the battle, but they've lost the war. Uh, concerned with his Achilles. Uh, MRI is probably going to confirm what we think is already going to happen. So prayers tonight, but it's not good. It's rare that the coach goes to the podium and just admits we expect this to be the absolute worst case. Yeah. Uh, instead of, you know what, we don't have an update yet. Uh, MRI tomorrow, and we'll tell you whenever we have to release something on Wednesday. That's normally the protocol because they don't want to give out anything that's not going to be accurate. In this case, they knew. Yeah, and uh, the look of dejection and the sound in his voice, you, you kind of know also with that. I like Robert Sala, watching him on Hard Knocks. Yeah. I like him. Seems like a very honest, straightforward type of guy. So he was being himself. I think he's just being honest and straightforward. And it's impossible to not show that negative emotion that comes sure. with this news if you're him and with this offense. And, and the thing that I keep coming back to with the whole Aaron Rodgers, it's not just losing Aaron Rodgers, who is a, a guy capable of winning MVP at quarterback. It's everything seemed to revolve around Aaron Rodgers, this being his offense. From Nathaniel Hackett, to bringing in Lazard and Randall Cobb and everyone up. This was not the New York Jets offense. This is Aaron Rodgers' hand-picked offense. So it's not just the drop-off, which is substantial from a play standpoint from Aaron Rodgers to Zach Wilson. It is now you have to devise an offense around Zach Wilson that fits him better. You got to go in there. I'm, I'm watching the Manning cast last night, honey, and they keep talking about what you got to do is get with Zach Wilson and figure out what plays he likes. This is all now about you got to get with the offensive coordinator for the rest of this game and say, what are you comfortable with? What do you like in the game plan and run those plays? That's not easy to now, you know, you, you break camp, you go into game week preparation, you got this big moment on Monday night football, play the game, four plays in, Aaron Rodgers out. Not only is Aaron Rodgers out, the Aaron Rodgers offense is out, and we got to get something that works perfectly for Zach Wilson with this supporting cast. It's really good. Think about the the emotions of that stadium over a 48-hour period, really a 24-hour period, where the Giants had played Sunday night football and they were destroyed by Dallas. 
and on the first series of the game, Rodgers is carted off. You mentioned the Manning cast. They were shocked, silent in real time. Peyton's like, oh, they're going to you know, tape up his ankle and he'll get back out there. And then they see him leave on the cart. And everyone's stunned. Even Peyton was like, I, I expected this just to be a, a tape job and he's back in the game. And it was everything but that. It was a, a lot of speculation that turned into dejection on, on the, the injury for Rodgers. And you mentioned the play call and everything set up for the offense through Rodgers. There are conflicting reports about that. There are two big headlines outside of, well, the Jets are screwed. What do they do now? Zach Wilson wasn't good enough, even when they were competitive a year ago, and they had the option of going and getting the quarterback through ownership, who said they were quarterback away, a veteran quarterback away, and now he's done after the $75 million guarantee on his deal. And who knows what happens moving forward on the cap hits. We'll get into that later. But going back to Nathaniel Hackett, who knows Rodgers very well, I buy one side of this story, by the way. Diana Rossini and Zach Rosenblatt are reporting uh, through sources, anonymous. Aaron Rodgers has expressed to Jets coaches that he doesn't like the play calls involving cut blocks because he can't extend the play and it forces him to get rid of the ball quickly. It failed twice on his four dropbacks, one resulting in a throwaway, the other, he got injured when Dwayne Brown's cut failed to stop Leonard Floyd. Now, when you think about that, the fact that he had plays in the game in the first two of the first four snaps of the series, whether he's injured or not, were plays that Rodgers really doesn't like. That's saying something. Connor Hughes, who we've had on the show before to discuss the Jets in the offseason whenever they were searching and trying to get Rodgers, pursuing him. Uh, Connor Hughes had, had reported during camp, uh, and he reiterates this in a, re, in a repost. I've heard throughout the summer concerns with the offensive play calling. The feeling was that Rodgers was going to overcome it, adjust, uh, adjust to it as need be. He simply changed and changed often what he did not like. This report, though, is alarming. Your quarterback expressing concerns with a specific type of play call and then calling it anyway. Nathaniel Hackett called plays with cut blocks on two of Rodgers' three passes. He took hits on two of them. One looks like it ended his season. This was prior to, of course, Robert Sala saying that they fear the worst and they know it's going to be the Achilles. How about that? Crazy. Crazy. Look, crazy buildup. Not just the buildup, but the buildup to the buildup with all the drama with Aaron Rodgers and whether or not he was going to play or retire or where he wanted to go, uh, the darkness retreat, and then he gets traded to the Jets, that opening press conference where he's joking about that Super Bowl trophy looking very lonely, and they need to add to it, to hard knocks. And he looked rejuvenated, refreshed. looks so ready to go, like a a leader, like a guy that got along with his teammates. and Like a guy that was going to lead the team to the Super Bowl. Just the, you know, now, I think in the moment, you're riding such an adrenaline rush on opening night, on Monday Night Football, you can can weather the storm maybe a little bit better. And they did last night and found a way to win it in overtime, and and good for the Jets doing that's a big win for them. But now, what's what's the come down? What's it like coming back to work? Well, they're on Aaron the road Rogers in Dallas. Next out, week. you know, just the whole 
regrouping, reassessing what you're going to do offensively. But that Jets defense is really good. And Zach Wilson has some really good players around him on offense that they just got to figure something out to try to, I mean, I, I'm with you. I don't think it's a Super Bowl team, but it's a possible playoff team. Even with Zach Wilson, they got to figure out a way to make that happen. And they were last. I mean, they beat the Bills once last year. Yep. Um, Patriots got them and they rebound and beat the Bills. And they went on a stretch where they won four or five straight games um, after dropping a couple to begin the season. Um, and they won that crazy game 31-30 in, in Cleveland. Chad, the, the other thing that's going to be a headline with this is the turf. The turf. On a soggy, wet turf at MetLife that the injury occurs in that tackle attempt, in that sack attempt, as he gets the ball away. This is... Players are upset that now there's just 14 teams with natural grass. Four of the stadiums use this new coconut shell turf that is apparently way better than the recycled tires and rubber that is on the turf at MetLife. It's much cheaper, and it's uh, once you get it down, you maintain it, but it's much cheaper than having natural grass on a stadium with two NFL teams playing on it, especially back-to-back. They wouldn't have been able to do that uh, had it not been for the turf that was at that stadium. Keep this in mind, though. The... The NFLPA and the players complain about this all the time. And I think rightfully so. But you've got to do more than just complain about it if you're the players who feel like it's causing more injuries than not. And Henry gets hurt in Indianapolis. Uh, Players always complain about the turf at MetLife. There are other stadiums as well. The, The Titans have recently gone. They have an outdoor stadium to artificial turf. They're one of the four stadiums that have this new... The coconut shell, Yeah, and you actually have to water it, believe it or not, um, to keep it moist and to keep it, uh, I guess, uh, better than whatever the the rubber does with the cleats and the the joints and the soft tissue injuries. Dallas and SoFi with the Rams and Chargers are the other two, plus NRG with Houston. Those are the four stadiums that have it. Artificial turf anywhere else is the old-school turf that... MetLife is currently using, and players hate it. But there's nothing they can do about it. If anything's going to make something change with that, it's this story. I don't know that it does. But, I mean, you lose Aaron Rodgers on the fourth play of the season. If, if the, the turf is a contributing factor, David Bakhtiari, we'll his former teammate. Dr. Chow about this. Yeah, we'll get into it with him. But his former teammate you know, posted on X about it, saying it's ridiculous that this continues to happen and that – essentially said, you know, everybody cares more about soccer players' health because they're going to change to grass and they're going to only play on grass for well, World Cup Well, because matches. Messi, and Messi refuses to play on turf. Yeah, and instead of the NFL and this, you know, multi-billion dollar product, they don't care enough about players' health to change well, out the, the uh, from turf to grass. Quite frankly, neither do the players because they play on the turf. Yeah. And they, negotiate, they can negotiate this stuff. I mean, again, it goes both ways. It just sucks. That, that the injury takes place. And he had been dealing with a calf issue uh, this offseason. Dr. David Child joins us in about 40 minutes uh, to discuss all of this. Uh, they have put calls into vets to back up Zach Wilson. Robert Sala, though, said it, this is Zach Wilson's job now. They're moving forward with him. One of those uh, is, is Case Keenum, apparently, where they could potentially trade for him. He's the third-string guy in Houston. 
essentially a coach, more or less, behind Davis Mills and, of course, the starter, C.J. Stroud. But whoever they bring in, it's going to take some time to get ready. If they trade or if they go sign. Uh, Wentz is available. Cam Newton is available. Colin Kaepernick has apparently reached out and said he's he's available. It's, it is a mess for the New York Jets right now. Tom Brady's not reached out, though, yet, right? I wish he would, but... I don't believe Even though has. many many people have had some fun with that one. Uh, hate to break it to you, but he's not reached out yet to the Jets. No. Yes. Coming up, Michael McHenry and the teams that can clinch sooner rather than later in Major League Baseball. Next. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Eha Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Coming up, Dr. David Chow, pro football doc, with the latest on the Achilles injury for Aaron Rodgers. We've got Jim Nagy of the Senior Bowl who will join us, plus John McClain on all things Week 1 NFL. Right now, we say hello to Michael McHenry, talking some Major League Baseball and tying in some, some injury memories uh, as we look back at last night and four snaps for Rodgers and the Achilles injury that ends his season. Michael, how are you, man? I'm doing good. I'm actually at the park right now. You, you like my background? It's beautiful, isn't it? It is nice. I yeah, like thank it. You. Nice little outdoor yeah. shot. And you, great. you even brought your microphone to the park. Yeah, I carry it around in my back pocket just in case. There you go. Just That's for you guys. Pro yeah. move. You never always. know when a podcast yeah. is going to break out. I always say <laughs> that. That's right. Not a fight, a podcast. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, uh, the Fort joins us. Uh, uh, v Fort McHenry is where you can follow him on social. Um, every it, the air was sucked out of the the stadium last night when Rogers was carted off, and everyone feared the worst. And it, we expect the worst, and he's he's done for the year. Do you have a, a situation uh, of your playing days or a, a veteran that was signed that didn't last long due to injury that the clubhouse was just deflated from altogether? Absolutely. I remember 2013, the, the Pirates, the team I was on, we, we break a, uh, almost a 21 year curse and we, we have a winning record. We're going to the playoffs, the wild card game. And in the midst of all that July 27th, down in Miami, I'm having the best game of my career, possibly I have four hits and I go to break up a double play. I hit the bag. My meniscus tears in half gets stuck. Um, I didn't come out of the game. Uh, our other catcher, uh, Russell Martin was hurt. So I decided to stay in the game, finish the game. We won that game, but I knew my season was over. So I had to watch a 40,000-plus fans show up for that wild card game. They call it the Cueto game because he dropped the ball because they were chaining Cueto. It's the most intense sports memory of my life. It was absolutely insane. But one thing I remember is they actually gave me a standing O three hmm. days after I started walking when they announced my name. So, you know, you got to embrace whatever it is. Take it for, you know – the good you can find in it. I know with Aaron Rodgers yesterday, him running out with the flag gave me goosebumps yeah. and then three plays in the game. He's done. That's tough. But if I know anything about him, he's going to do everything he can to get back on the field. And hopefully he can. Um, another one is when Kutch went down this year, he uh, partially tore his Achilles one home run away from 300. Man. That milestone's going to be sitting there for a whole year. No one knows if he's going to get the sign back with the Pittsburgh Pirates. I hope so. I think it's the right thing to do, but yeah, there's, there's some gut-riching things that have happened throughout my career, either with a teammate or myself, where you're like, man, if I could have just made it another week or another two weeks. 
So Matt Olson becomes the first player to reach 50 home runs in Major League Baseball. Hit 49 and 50 yesterday for it. And I, I don't know that he's one away, by the way, from the franchise record set by Andrew Jones, which is 51. I don't know that anyone could have envisioned this going as well as it has with him coming back home to Atlanta from Oakland, where he was the replacement for a guy who's pretty good in Freddie Freeman, who's also done very well for the Dodgers. But could you see this going as well as it has with Matt Olson at first base for the Braves? No, it's a, it's a storybook for me. I, I did not see it going this well. I mean, Freddie Freeman's still an MVP caliber player. So the fact he's doing what he's doing is remarkable. And you look at that lineup in general. I mean, we had an argument just the other day. Is this the best lineup of all time? And you could easily argue that this is a better lineup than the 1927 Yankees that had Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth. I mean, the reality of what they have on that team. I mean, you look from top to bottom. When your number nine old hitter is a rookie of the year from last year, who has almost an 800 OPS, your eight hole hitter is an all-star shortstop. And then you have in the middle of your lineup guys hitting 30, 40 and 50 now home runs. It's a joke. The fact that the Phillies gave that ball back says enough, you know, there's no way you ever go anywhere in Philly and they give you any right of passage. They did with that ball. That was outstanding. I thought it was very, very graceful and also well-deserved. I think Paul Goldschmidt said top five all time. Uh, he's a no historian doubt. of the game. After having played the Braves and researching, he says probably a top five offense in the history of, of Major League Baseball, which is a, a long history. Long history between the Braves and Phillies also. In the mm -hmm. middle of a four-game set right now, they split the doubleheader yesterday. They play again tonight in Philly. They're also going to play another series in Atlanta. I, I'm watching some of this, and I'm thinking, how much does this matter? Right, The Braves have, have won the division. Um, is it something that as you get ready for the playoffs, this is something that could be a preview of a playoff series. How much does it matter right now at the end of the regular season in mid-September with these two teams playing? And how do you approach these games if you're a player on both the Phillies and Braves side, Mike? All in. I think it absolutely matters. That same season I was talking about in 13, you know, we had three teams that made the playoffs. We ended up playing Cincinnati in that wild card game. The next team we faced for the division series was the St. Louis Cardinals. And that's probably the reality that they're going to see. They may see the Phillies and they want to have every bit of momentum going into that series to possibly win the National League or what have it. I mean, that is the reality. I mean, baseball is a momentum type sport and you want to have that momentum going to playoffs. It doesn't really necessarily matter who's the best team. It, it's who has the most momentum and who continues to play. Because if they get that lull, like Atlanta probably will. They'll probably get two or three days waiting on the wild card to finish up. And then also if they kind of go in and do their job the way they can, they may have another four or five games where they're just sitting around waiting to play. And that always hurts that team. Michael McHenry with us, uh, our Major League Baseball analyst, uh, does this for a living. I, I, uh, I'm not trying to point to a conspiracy here, okay, uh, or a bias. But I see a lot of Mookie Betts love in headlines. Um Acuna, is he is he not just the hands-down National League MVP? I mean, put them side by side. Uh, and, and you're like, okay, all right. You're looking through. And then you get stolen bases. 64, 65, I'm not sure what he did yesterday, to 11. You have to put that in account. I mean, they're both great defenders. They're both great uh, players. They're both great teammates. I think Mookie Betts is in the media more often. He does his podcast. He does a lot of things, you know, in the community, maybe Ronald Acuna, since he's not from the United States, he's not in the community as much, but ever since he got married, I, I think his, his media presence has grown, 
But this guy's a generational talent. What he's doing is just absolutely remarkable. And yes, I think they both should get some love, but I don't know how you look past the stolen base marker and he continues to do it. Mookie's just, you know, now starting to get back from being on the DL or almost going on the aisle, excuse me. But Acuna's done it every single day. He's played every single game. I mean, you have to take all that into account. This guy is phenomenal. If he does this for a year or two, you're talking about one of the best players of all time. Yeah, and uh, uh, Betts, uh, as the leadoff hitter, he's had 103 RBI. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the third player, I believe, ever with 100 RBI at, from the leadoff spot. Is, is that also – I mean, the, the stolen bases will be the, – uh, uh, they'll point to the rules changes, right, as helping all this, the, the clock and all that. Um, is that working against Acuna more than it's helping him? And, and is it the leadoff spot for Betts where he's scoring runs – uh, with with the bat at the plate as a leadoff guy that's benefiting him in this entire race. Well, I mean, you got to think it's a quarter of a century. I mean, you're talking about 50 plus more I, stolen bases. It's remarkable. And then too, yeah, absolutely. I know you guys do. Um, I like Mookie. I, I think the world of him. I think his ability Same. to move around the diamond, do different things. But I think hands down, you have to look at Acuna Jr. and say this guy is by far head and shoulders above the league of what he's doing because you're putting yourself in harm's way. That's why a lot of guys don't run. When he's running like that, I mean, you're running with a little bit of chaos, a little bit of saying, hey, I'm just going to leave it all out there. And that's what I respect about him. I mean, Mookie could probably still 40, 50 bases. He's got that type of pedigree. He's got that IQ when it comes to baseball knowledge. And he also has the speed. So the reality of it is he's playing as that leadoff guy, getting on base, scoring runs, driving in runs. But so is Acuna. And there's a good chance he's up near 100 when it comes to run scored and also RBI by the end of the season. So we still have a little bit of time left. The Orioles continue to be an amazing story. Uh, number two in the power rankings, but they continue to try to finish strong. Eight and two in their last 10 games. The Rays are right there, though, in the ALEs. Three games back, and they have a massive four-game series that starts on Thursday between the O's and the Rays. What do you make of the series and what happens to Baltimore if Tampa Bay catches them and ultimately wins this division after they have done everything possible to win the AL East and clinch? I I think it matters for bragging rights. I don't necessarily think it matters in the long term. I mean, you, you think about uh, McClanahan's down. I mean, they're not going to have their, their workhorse going into the playoffs. So you're not going to have that guy to really put your entire team on his back and hope he wins that one game special. So I think the O's and the position they're in, I think they're in a really, really good position to win that series and also win that division. I I don't think the Rays have what it takes. Offensively, they have to click on all cylinders. I feel like the Baltimore Orioles just have so much ability, so much talent. And with their catcher, Rutschman, he's been an absolute glue for that team inside that clubhouse, on the field. Ever since he's shown up, they've been a completely different team. As long as he's on the field, I'm never going to bet against them. So Steve Cohen in New York continues to show that who he wants, he gets. Uh, they are going to hire David Stern Stearns as their president. Uh, he's 38 years old. Uh, he was with the Brewers as GM. This is kind of a, a funny story because he's still under contract with the Brewers through the end of the season. But it's already being reported that once the season's over, he's going to the Mets. And uh, it begs the question, how good is Stearns? They had been to the postseason only four times in their 47-year history before he got there, and they went four straight seasons when he arrived. Not not bad. How good is this for the Mets, and what kind of pickup is this for them as Cohen continues to try to build? I think it follows suit with what L.A.'s done. They they go out and get the best. 
you know, especially from small markets, because now you can look at it from both ends. You give a small market GM the ability to do a lot of different things because he has the money available. So the fact that Boston did it, LA's done it, those teams are kind of, I guess, bridging the way for what you have to do to compete in, in a game that not necessarily is just about the best players. You put the best players on the team, have the highest uh, um, money spent over the last probably three or four decades because it's been remarkable how much money the Mets have spent, and you still aren't guaranteed to win. I think bringing in a guy that's young, he's vibrant, he's got a ton of energy, and he's shown what he can do with his pedigree and what he can do with the product on the field. And the fact that he's put up a three-headed monster in, in Milwaukee, he was able to trade his closure last year and actually get better in the bullpen. What they've done is really, really special, and I think they've done it in a multitude of ways. So he's going to bring a lot to the New York Mets, and I love that they made him – uh, president of baseball operations, you know, they have to allow that to happen. So I'm kind of wondering who Milwaukee is going to bring in, especially since they're in my division. Michael McHenry, our guest. So uh, the angels are now open to trading trout. If he wants out, would, would you want out if you're Mike trout? Yeah. I don't know if I'd say it out loud though. You know, I don't think that's the type of guy he is. I, I think he always wants to be there first for his teammates, but yes, uh, they've kind of, you know, played their hand over and over again that, they're not real sure how to put that winning product on the field with the best players in the world. So yeah, I think it's time for Mike Trout to go somewhere. I hope he doesn't go to the Yankees. I hope he goes to a place where he really fits maybe a mid tier market team and hopefully it helps angels too. I mean, I, I hate that a huge market like that cannot figure out a way to win. I mean, it's kind of mind boggling at times because they went out and did everything possible that they thought was right to win this year. And they still couldn't win. They couldn't keep guys healthy. So I think trading Mike Trout, re kind of bolstering your your youth and trying to do something different. Anaheim's great for them, and I also think it's great for baseball if you can take Trout out of Anaheim and put him on a winning team where he can really shine. Because I mean, we don't really get to see him play that often. They're never playing for much. Yeah, it's it's remarkable that they didn't win more with two of the game's best. Oh. Uh, and the best. Uh, uh, well, three of the game's best if you look at it the right way, because it's Otani's well, been two right. players and. Yeah, it's wild. So uh, being around one of the NFL teams, I've, I've seen body doubles before, uh, and if not body mm -hmm. doubles, Photoshop. Um, have you witnessed this? Uh, just thinking back to your career, and Otani is apparently having one too, where they're going to just Photoshop his his head on a body double for the team photo. Uh, I have not seen that. And I think you wait on your best guy. You know, you just, <laughs> just if 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 you can't get a a photo shoot with your best players out there, you wait. Why, why, you wait, why wait this far into the season to have the team photo? I agree. They do it every year, almost every team. The Pirates just did theirs uh, first of September. I don't know if they wait on those call-ups, but, I mean, I think the team that needs to be represented is the team that first made that club. The opening day roster is the picture that you should take. They, they wait every single year. It's like, ah, whatever, we'll just push it down the road. But the reality of it is I've been on a team where they fired guys. And here we are taking a picture <laughs> and that that's not okay. I mean, that doesn't yeah. tell the history, you know, that that yeah. doesn't say anything about the year, let alone who started it. It should be the opening day roster. Yeah. Is that absolutely. Is that bad? Chad, you remember Bud Adams would always have his, uh, it would, the owner of the Titan, uh, the late owner would always have, he would always be in the team photo and he lived in Houston. Yeah. He wouldn't, he wouldn't be in the photo, Front and center but he'd in a nice find suit. his way in, in the photo one way or the other. A tailored suit. Right in the middle yep. of the photo, smiling. So he'd be like Waldo. Yeah. Everyone right. else is squinting yep. due to the sun, and he's not. That's right. <laughs> Fort, you're the man. Thanks, buddy. 
Hey, appreciate you guys. God bless you. Have a great day. There's the fort. Michael McHenry, always great. Hutton, here's a stat for you. Okay. So Matt Olson, Ronald Acuna Jr. became the fourth pair of teammates that one went for over 50 home runs, another went for over 50 stolen bases in the same season. The others, 2017 Marlins with Giancarlo Stanton and D. Gordon, 2000 Cubs with Sammy Sosa and mm. Eric Young Sr., who, by the way, is the first base coach for this Braves team, and the 95 Cleveland Indians, Albert Bell and Kenny Lofton. How about that for a blast in the past? They deserve Fourth more credit. pair of teammates ever. Pro Football Doc. Pretty good luck. Dr. David Chow on the Rogers Achilles injury next. Coming up, Jim Nagy will join us. That's. Uh, coming up in hour number two, John McClain in hour three. A lot of NFL and college football discussion. Hot Mike with Utney Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Right now, we say hello to Dr. David Chow, pro football doc, and uh, certainly uh, a busy today getting his opinion on all things Aaron Rodgers and the Achilles injury, which was just confirmed that he's done for the year. That was by Robert Sala on the Zoom meeting with uh, the, the press corps uh, moments ago. Uh, Dr. Chow, thank you for the time. Hope, hope things are well on your end. Good. Thank you. Always happy to make time for you guys. Yeah, it's been a busy evening slash day. And even with the confirmation, I guess it still brings more questions. What, what were your initial reactions when you saw Rogers go down, uh, take the seat on the turf and eventually be carted off? Were you immediately thinking Achilles? Well, when he initially went down, I didn't see a whole lot. And then he stood up and sat down and I was like, what is up with that? And rewound and got lots of video. When you really look at videos and what I do a little bit is called, I call it the medical Mike Pereira, right? And what Mike Pereira does for, for Fox, et cetera. Uh, and uh, they stitch video together or the medical Dean Blandino. And as I stitched video together, I was like, uh-oh, the news is not good. And that's where we came up with the Achilles uh, tear issues. Yeah, I noticed uh, last night on ESPN, Scott Van Pelt said anyone that's a, a doctor on social media, that's a professional guesser. Uh, you had a great response to that, though, doctor, about what it is you're actually doing. You're not sitting down with a patient, but you are looking at not just one bit of video but as much as you can see to try to give your professional opinion, right? No question. And uh, uh, is it a guess? It's at best or worst an educated guess. You guys know we have a 95% track record. I studied video of in the NFL when I was with the Chargers. I knew what the diagnosis was after seeing a guy on the field, on the sideline, in the locker room, and the next day after an MRI. Then we went back and looked at the question, which is the video. Look, I get it, and uh, I don't take any offense to it. I mean, I have an unfair advantage that uh, I looked at videos and studied it for all that time. And and I get it, Scott Van Pelt. I've met him before. Nice guy. Look, Schefter uh, likes the stuff, and uh, you know it's all good as far as I'm concerned. To each his own. And in the end, uh, you know, we try to be very careful with our opinions and we're not fly by night. And no, I'm not trying to diagnose him because that would imply that I'm treating Aaron Rodgers. But we deal in insider knowledge. Look, uh, I know Aaron Rodgers agent very well, but I'm not a reporter. I'm not texting David Dunn to say, 
hey, what do you what happened? I'm just looking at video and giving video impressions. What is the uh, Dr. Chow with us, Dr. David Chow, uh, pro football doc? What what is the rehab like from the Achilles injury? And do you think it from Rogers' perspective that it's it's a positive outlook from the the just the look ahead of him playing again next year? Yeah, I do think it's a positive perspective. Look ahead for him to playing again next year. Um, first of all, everyone's saying, "Oh my gosh, he's going to be 39 years old." What does that mean? Sorry, he'll be 40 years old by the time he recovers. What does that mean? Look, first of all, Achilles re- recovery is pretty standard nowadays. Look at all the players that have come back. I remember in 2019, Kevin Durant. Oh my God, will he ever get back to the same level? He's the same level, and that's NBA, a different level of stuff. Look, Aaron Rodgers, the age of 40, is still going to be very effective in Aaron Rodgers. I think uh, playing will be open to him. And even if he loses a quarter of a step, it's not going to be the same. Look, even if he loses a quarter of a step, he'll be faster than my guy, Philip Rivers, when he was 24, right? Uh, Faster than Tom Brady at 45, et cetera. And I don't see how a competitor like Aaron Rodgers goes out this way. For example, uh, you know, the the last memory of him is on the turf and sitting down and getting carted off. He's too much of a competitor. He doesn't want to go out this way. He's already said he wants to play longer prior to this. And I think there's no doubt he'll want to. But more importantly, he will be able to medically. I want to get a little fact or fiction here from your perspective on the theories that are out there. You mentioned the turf. It's a two part question. can, did, could the turf have played a factor in this? And we had you on whenever Joe Burrow went down with his calf injury on day two of training camp. With You mentioned he's got to be 100% coming back. It could cause further injury and issues if, he, if he's not 100%. There were off-season reports that, that Rodgers suffered a calf injury back in May or early June. Could that have played a factor in what happened last night? Well, so the first question is, could the turf play a factor? Fact. Could his calf injury play a factor? Fact. Okay. But is either one of those the biggest factor? Fiction. The factor was Leonard Floyd burst through the line, through the left side, through Dwayne Brown, and was on Aaron Rodgers' back when he was on his left leg, one-legged, trying to push away and escape. It's the extra weight. And uh, the force and the eccentric load, that was the biggest factor, in my opinion. The second factor might be the previous calf and or the fact that he's 39. Third, fourth is the potential that the turf may have had something to do with it. I'm a proponent of grass. I think in general, grass is safer than turf overall. But I believe that particular injury is one that probably would have happened to Rodgers, unfortunately, whether he did or did not you know, play on turf. In week two, there were three big injuries, A's, dreaded A's, Achilles and ACL. Aaron Rodgers on turf. J.K. Dobbins on grass. Jack Conklin, right tackle for the Cleveland Browns on grass. So I think it's too simplistic to say it's just the surface in this case. Dr. David Chow, a little with bit us. better than turf. So, just from a broad perspective, though, in your 17 years as as the lead doctor in the NFL uh, for a franchise, and then also just observing, do players 
have an argument to be made about turf over grass uh, causing injuries? Is that where, just in, in general terms, you felt like more injuries occurred than not? Or does it even out? Well, it depends on what injury. Yeah, you got to understand, if you're trying to do this scientifically, there are half the fields that are grass and half that are turf. But there's not one kind of grass. There's not one kind of grass condition. There's not one kind of artificial grass, sport grass, sport turf. There are many different kinds. So you have to factor out all these different things. Look, as much as we say that turf maybe causes a little more injuries, remember down in Texas and Houston, the Texans uh, grass with the pallets and the seam caused a Wes Welker ACL tear. Mm -hmm. So it's not absolute, but overall, over time, there is slightly more injuries, yes, on turf than on grass. And the current version of turf is way better than the old concrete AstroTurf. It's about footing and getting your foot stuck, and it still happens a little more. Look, this weekend, there was a lot of wet weather. And because of a lot of wet weather, I feel like there were fewer, bigger, lower extremity injuries, but more hamstring issues because of slipping and sliding. So it's one, six of one, half dozen the other sometimes. How big of a problem is it if the players in the league believe that artificial surfaces are a problem in terms of the psychology of it going into it? Because clearly they think maybe it's even a bigger problem than the actual scientific data shows us that it is. But if the belief is that they're unsafe or that it's less safe than grass, could that be a contributing factor to anything, and, and how do you look at that if you're a team or the league, if players are saying this? Well, you know, players uh, have a right to, to uh, after their initial drafting, choose where they want to go to some extent, right? And uh, they can vote with their feet uh, and, and where they want to go, and they're free to do it. Look, I'm coming out in favor of grass. But it's just not so profound as some make it out to be. That's all I'm trying to say. And you can't blame every injury on turf like this one uh, on the turf itself. That's all I'm trying to say. Is there a psychological factor? Maybe. But the reality is, the, the in general, there's one more major knee slash ankle injury a year on turf than on grass. And, you know, is that enough to make owners change their mind? You know, that's up to the owners. But I'm also told, and I'm not trying to you know, get involved on this side, but that was an issue that was collectively bargained and the players didn't necessarily follow through and demand it. Yeah. And they could have. So maybe the next time around they will and uh, we'll go from there. So you're not a sports psychologist. I know that when I asked this question, but psychologically from injuries you've treated like this, how difficult is it for players to get past it and play at a high level from a mental standpoint and not worrying about something like that happening again? Well, there's no question there's a psychological side of the recovery, but, uh, you know, Aaron Rodgers is tough. Like, uh, you know, others have said, and I agree, that he probably knew it was popped the second it happened, but, he, oh, my gosh, he was still going to stand up and give it a go and, and be mentally tough. Look, you can argue he was relatively emotionless, and, you know, when he was helped off the field, there's no question in my mind, he already knew that it was uh, an Achilles rupture because athletes know their bodies yet, you know, so his psychology is there. And that's another reason where I think that I'm basically positive from my perspective that he will have the chance to, and that he will want to, and he will be back next season.
Are you surprised at the success Brock Purdy has had coming off the elbow surgery? Yes, I am a little surprised. I never said he wouldn't make it, but I said it's far from a guarantee. Right, yeah. Right? And right. he's done very well so far. One game and, you know, a limited preseason. He certainly wasn't ready by the beginning of training camp, but he's done pretty well. So kudos to him so far. It's a one-game season so far. Uh, so is Zach Wilson, you have to argue, so far. But a lot more play to go. And I'm happy for Brock Purdy. Yes, I, all I said was this was the Tommy John ligament, and there's no guarantee that he will be ready. And it turns out he was good for him in the 49ers. And I'm just thinking about this from the Achilles injury standpoint. So Rodgers and then, of course, J.K. Dobbins. And it made me think of Ravens pass rusher Terrell Suggs, who somehow came back during the season from a, an Achilles injury that, right. that was not – how did that happen? Well, you know, Terrell Suggs had both sides, right? One side and then the other over his time in history. Look, I've also said this. It's not impossible to thread the needle and have Aaron Rodgers back this season. What would have to happen? A good recovery, which can happen. The, the Jets make it to the playoffs, right, mm -hmm. and extend their season. And uh, perhaps something happens, not wishing any ill will, but to Zach Wilson. Because if Zach Wilson health, is healthy and gets you there, I don't know how you go back to an Aaron Rodgers that's not 100%, right? But if Zach Wilson is not healthy and gets you there, and Aaron Rodgers is pretty good, maybe you can thread the needle. So it, it's not a dead issue, but it's a little bit of a lottery ticket issue for him to return. And we've just got a minute left here, Doctor. But uh, just from a timetable, this would be like middle of January you're talking about. Well, it's not absolute. Remember, that's what I'm talking about. To be a running back like Cam Akers, he came back at six months and he wasn't himself. But, you know, yeah. kudos. He did pretty well. Look, uh, Cam Akers at six months, he probably was ready to do the duties of a quarterback at five months. And remember, this is also Aaron Rodgers' lead leg, not back push-off plant leg. And that might help the situation. So I'm not – to be 100%, it's a lot longer. But the game of quarterback today – you can modify. Look, that's why Tom Brady was able to play to 45. Dr. David Chow, uh, pro football doc on social, ex-NFL head team doctor for 17-plus years. And uh, he's, uh, he's got plenty of injury analysis, even halftime of many of the, uh, the primetime games. Thank you so much for the insight, and uh, we'll certainly be chatting with you again soon. Thank you. Thanks, doctor. Huge yeah. hit on the YouTube chat. People love Dr. Chow and his analysis. Yeah, so same. that was very informative. Uh, yeah, Terrell Suggs. I'll never – the miraculous return. Was deer antler spray involved in that? No, I, no. That Is was, that a healing power possibly? That was uh, – who was that with? Mr. Miyagi. Did he come in and – Roman Romanowski. Give the rub down on the Achilles and fix it so he could go out there and play again? Coming up, uh, the, the Rodgers – Injury impacts, yeah, Bill of Romanowski course, the, the Jets roster and outlook, but also financial outlook moving forward. Details there, plus Chats not buying the demise of the Jets just yet.